Welcome to the Be Loud About What Matters podcast. I'm Olivia, your host. On this podcast, I will be bringing light to topics that are important but not discussed enough within our society. Episodes will include a range of topics, starting with the journey to conceive, pregnancy, birth, postpartum and motherhood, holistic healing and nutrition, and the importance of true informed consent and medical freedom. The goal of this podcast is to create connections, share stories, information, and resources to educate and empower people in their own personal journey. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Be Loud About What Matters podcast. Today, all tonight for me, I am so excited to have Sarah on with me. And Sarah and I actually connected through, I don't know if it was Cass or Will. It was one of the two, but I met William first. Maybe that's how it started, but with William and William was on my- to wave. (laughs) Yes. Um, William was on the podcast talking about breath work and parenting with me um, a few episodes back. And so I have Sarah here with us. Sarah is currently living a nomadic life with- Will and his wife Cass and their children and their community that they've built out there. But Sarah is the founder of Down to Birth Midwifery, and she is incredibly knowledgeable with everything that has to do with pregnancy, birth, nutrition, holistic health and wellness, all of the things. So we just aligned so perfectly, and I'm so excited to chat with you. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Would you mind sharing a bit about you with everybody? Yeah, thank you so much, Olivia. I'm super excited to be having these like, yeah, juicy, passionate conversations with like-minded people. Um, I've loved connecting with you so far already. So I'm, yeah, so excited to deep dive into this. But yeah, I am Sarah. I am a midwife currently, yeah, being nomadic, traveling around Australia. I'm going to be heading overseas quite soon. Um, But I am also a lactation consultant, a postpartum specialist. Uh, I do body work. Um, I work with women to help them access their power, heal their traumas. Um, And I also study my master's. So through that, I've specialized in um, learning about working with disadvantaged women and mental health is another big one and research. So I have studied um, clinical trials. So that's why I'm going to be touching on this today because I feel like it's just so important to have this knowledge because it's just not general knowledge that most people have. Yet there are terms like research and evidence-based practice and um, all these sorts of things are floating around at the moment. So to have a real good understanding of it, I just have found that like, whoa, everyone needs to know this, but it's, yeah, it's pretty complicated stuff and I'm excited to talk about it anyway. Yeah. And that's honestly... I mean, that's one of the main reasons I started my podcast is because I want to be having these conversations about things so people have all of the education and the resources they need to make a truly formed decision. And I think with the state of the world, like you and I can both agree and everyone else who listens to the podcast as well, is that it's very one-sided and people are not provided with all of the information that they need. And I noticed Mm -hmm. this first, excuse me, when I stepped into birth work and I was attending births and even in the postpartum period, listening to moms talking about their doctors or their OBs telling them that they needed to do this or that or giving them some reason that made no sense when it came to like their body and healing and what their body needed and all of these different medical interventions, it just made me so angry (laughs) because 
if you know about like the benefits of things and the risks of things, and then one person, especially mothers or new mothers or soon to be mothers are only provided with one side of the story, then they're not going to be able to truly make a decision because they don't have all the information they need. So we're going to hop into that, mm-hmm. but it's just, just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning oh, of this yeah. conversation. So was yeah, there, I'm... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, was there like a certain like period or a certain like event in your life that made you really want to step into the work that you do now? Um, This is actually something that's been at the forefront for me lately because I am making some really big shifts and connecting with some parts of myself. And I feel like every podcast I've been on, I've probably answered this differently. And I think that is expressive of the journey that I've had with, okay, so how did I actually get here? Um, And I always have like loved travel. I am super interested in the body and like health and nutrition and lifestyle. Um, I just feel like though that I didn't make a conscious decision about stepping onto this path. I feel like I've done this many times over. It's just like a knowing. And every time I, I know I learn something else or some other piece of information comes to me, it's just like this deep internal knowing that I have. So I'm like, I was very guided to this work and um, yeah, it just feels very innate to me. I feel like as women, this is the work that we've always done and I've kind of just adapted it to this current world and time that we're living in and that's how I've interweaved a lot of like the academic things side of stuff into um yeah things that just feels very natural and normal to me I am fascinated by pregnancy and birth I always have been since I was like a little girl just like looking at pregnant bellies and just like wow it's so beautiful and I think like I've always connected to like the huge power that that is for women like we get to grow a baby in our body and then birth it like I know the ins and outs of pregnancy and birth and it still blows my mind like what a beautiful privilege we've been given to like access this power but um so many women like don't have the same thoughts about it and you know we've in a society we've been made to fear birth and see it's something as painful and negative and something we have to go through when that's just not the the way I view it I just think it's so magical yet so totally normal and ordinary yes it's so interesting like being at a birth especially a home birth and just being like this is so normal like it's so normal and it feels so right for me to like I feel so comfortable in this huge energetic space that yeah I'm utilizing um, those skills to branch out in other ways for my business as well. Yes. And I, I love everything that you just said because it's so true. And I, I remember growing up, there was just never any conversations about like pregnancy and birth and what it was all about. And honestly, it even starts with like our cycles as, Mm -hmm. as we're moving into puberty, like there was never a discussion about like what the purpose of our cycle is like we are not for me at least and I was on birth control and it's just like our society is like so far removed from like what's natural what's normal and everything is so medicalized and it drives me crazy because it's like what you like what you said women don't 
not everybody, but some women are not able to experience what birth really could be. And that, right. And that itself makes me sad and it makes me angry and frustrated. And then there are so many things that are super, super medicalized that happen in the birth space, happen during pregnancy, happen during postpartum that people just think is normal. And they don't realize that their birth didn't have to be that way. You know, like when we're talking about the cascade of interventions or people ending up with an emergency C-section because they were induced and they didn't need to be induced or having to use forceps or an episiotomy, like all of these things people just normalize and it it really hurts my soul because it's just like people don't realize that not only is that causing trauma for the mother, but that is so much trauma for your baby. Like so much trauma for your baby. Long lasting trauma as well. It's not just about that one day. It's like the birth is a catalyst for the health and well-being of that mother and that baby. Right. And yeah, there's so many things to touch on there. Um, Like, yeah, we used to use the term, the term normal birth in referring to vaginal birth, but vaginal birth is actually not the norm anymore. Like, how sad is that? Like, an intervention-free birth is, uh, like, in Australia, if you have an intervention-free birth in a hospital, we call it, call it a unicorn birth. Like, we are so far away from where we should be. And, and I think it does come back to, like, um, introducing those interventions and that fear around birth. What it has done is it's taking women away from their intuition right from numbing women from the the, you know the power that is connected to our menstrual cycles and from being using birth into like um, hormonal birth control like early on and disconnecting that we are disconnecting from our intuition Mm -hmm. and as much as i'm going to go into the importance of research and doing your own research and credibility of research um like through our discussion today the thing that trumps any research is your intuition. Yes. But we've been told not to trust it. And then that's why the medical system has the hierarchy and the control that it does because it's t- telling women their bodies aren't safe and not to trust their intuition. Yes. Oh, my gosh. But no matter what, it's like if I have a woman that's like t- came, has come to me and is telling me that something's up with her or her baby and clinically on paper or the test checkout everything looks fine like that means nothing if she says something is up then something is up like that intuition is so strong and that's pretty much the work that I do and the intention of my work is helping women tune into that intuition because then like that is accessing your power then you know then you can look at the research and apply it to your circumstances utilize your intuition as well and that's part of making a fully informed decision about something like you could have every single statistic against you but if your intuition tells you that you're capable of birthing your baby in the way that you want to hell yeah that's what you're going to do if you're supported to do so so you know the research is really important but i think we put too much emphasis on it because you know, ultimately what it comes down to is your capabilities and what you're supported to do in the space that is being held for you and the spaces that is being held for held for most majority, like vast majority of women is in a clinical space, in a medical setting. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, where we end up and that's how we've got the birth statistics and the birth intervention rates that we do. I know. And I, I talk about it all the time even with like my family members, because we'll just randomly talk about birth. But if you look at the maternal and infant mortality rates in these countries that supposedly have like the best health care, 
it doesn't even compare to like third world countries. Like there are more women and babies that are dying here in hospital settings because of the way that birth is treated. And it is insane to me that there's not more of an uproar and outrage of people just losing their minds being like, this is not okay, but that's because they keep normalizing it and they keep telling women that their bodies are not capable of this or their baby's too big or whatever the reasoning they come up with. And I'm just so thankful that we're having these conversations and I'm so thankful that we're going to start talking about how to really approach this, how to approach birth, how to talk about it with people, how to shift your mindset surrounding birth and just making sure that people know what resources they can utilize in order to make informed decisions. Yeah, because ultimately birth is extremely safe. We wouldn't be where we are as a population if birth wasn't safe and it didn't work. The things that have made birth unsafe and the reasons women are dying around the world in developing countries is because of the way we're treating women, the way we're interfering with birth. It's not birth, it's unsafe. Right. And it's even what you said too about women wanting to listen to their intuition but having people tell them that that's not as important as what they are explaining to them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, the medical – the medical journal says this. Okay, well, I'm telling you as a mom, as a pregnant mom or a new mother that like something is wrong and I need you to listen. And there's, it's start, it's just, our society just a lot of the time does not listen to women. And it especially, especially when it comes to birth and that needs to change. Absolutely. Yeah. My life mission. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big fate, but yeah, we're getting there. We are. We are. We are for sure. So did you want to hop into your own experience? Like with, did you ever actually attend births in the hospital or have you only done home yep. You've done both. No, I've, I've worked across many practice settings. So I trained um, in predominantly in a tertiary hospital, which is like where complicated births I managed usually, um, very, very big settings. And I was also fortunate enough to have the opportunity to um, experience home birth as a student. And that was monumental in changing my mindset. Even before I started midwifery, I was like, of course I'm going to birth my baby at home. Like, why wouldn't I do that? Like, I don't really like the hospital. Why would I, why would I go there to have my baby? And I don't really know. I'm still unpacking like where that came from. But um, yeah, again, an innate kind of like, yeah, birth is safe and birth is powerful and birth is mine. Like, why would I give that to somebody else? Um, When I graduated, I worked for a year in um, a rural hospital. Um, Then I went overseas and I lived in in India and worked in a birth centre. Then I came back to Australia to start up a midwifery group practice in a remote hospital. Um, And then I moved into the home birth space. So for the last... um, Two years I've been working as a private practicing midwife in home birth um, and attending very few hospital births throughout that time. But when I did, I was just like, oh, wow, this is, to be honest, it's home birth and hospital birth for women and for midwives is totally non-comparable. It's hardly the same thing. I have a completely different role at home compared to what I have in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, 
obviously the birth the way birth is seen at home versus the way birth is seen at hospital is completely different like when we're at home we're supporting the woman and to support her physiology to keep birth safe and to um you know that it's all about her really and, and what her needs are it's on her time it's on her terms everything i'm coming into her space even the hierarchy of the energy is really different because she is the center of that and then when you move birth to hospitals it's baby centric it's centered around risk it's about managing birth the hierarchy is the doctors then the head midwives then the midwives then the woman it's just completely different and the way you care for women is really restrictive because it's all about you know doing observations at this time and monitoring the baby's heart rate and sticking to a timeline for labor and birth and it just it's not conducive like birth is like a beautiful orchestrated dance that women have to go through in their own time as they're processing their own things mm -hmm. and <clears throat> that does not fit in a hospital setting it doesn't it doesn't fit into that setting at all because i remember one of the first things that i watched when i i, had, I think it was before my doula training was the business of being born and hospitals are businesses. People don't want to hear that, but it's true. Hospitals mm -hmm. are businesses. And I had the same exact mindset. I don't know why. I have no idea where it came from. My family is incredibly medicalized on all sides. <laughs> Every like I am literally the black sheep of the family and in that in the holistic health um, realm, I should say. But it's funny because everyone is super medicalized but then with certain things they'll always come to you and you're like okay see like you know that holistic health and nutrition and healing you know that it's good for you so that's why you're coming and asking about it but I was the same way and I just don't I don't know it frustrates me so much when people put profit over people especially when it comes to mothers and babies well, it's, yeah, putting profit before, like, the well-being of women and babies, and there's so much that drives that. Um, but when it comes to, like, holistic health and healing, like, that's our cellular blueprint. Like, that's what we've been doing since the dawn of time. Like, it's, it's only really in the last couple of generations that we've been utilising medical, like, knowledge to treat the body really right and it's so far away it's still it's about treatment it's not about holistic healing and promoting health um but yeah in the in the medical like system there's so many things that drive that profit it's like the med like the maternity system is set up to serve the maternity system everyone's like the system is broken it's not broken it's working completely as it was designed to work yeah women are in and out it's about getting things done as quickly as possible and getting profit out of that right um because obviously like sitting around and supporting a physiological birth and sitting on your hands and holding space for a woman to have a vaginal in birth intervention free does not produce the same profit as very like coming in and having a cesarean and your baby requiring a NICU stay and you requiring a longer hospital stay and then um an epidural and use utilization of an like anesthetist like it's once you're in it and you experience it it makes so much sense yeah. but people still have that like I even kind of have a bit of a hang-up about the term care provider because mm -hmm. I feel like you don't 
so many people don't deserve that term. Like you're not providing care for this woman. Mm-hmm. You're literally just like seeing her as like potential profit and like, right. and I'm not saying that everyone is like that, but that's how the system is run. It is. It absolutely is. And I'm literally for everyone who is not witnessing this on video, like I'm just nodding my head along to everything that Sarah is saying because it's so true. And these things, they infuriate me so much. And that's why these conversations are so necessary. And I'm just so thankful that you do the work that you, that you're doing and all of the families and women and people that you are touching with your work and helping it's just so important and I am just really grateful that you're doing everything that you are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> like, and, and same back at you as well. Like you, it is important to be a bit loud about what matters because you know, it's been going on for too long and too many people and women and babies are suffering because of it. And I'm just like, cannot stand by and witness this anymore. It's just like, I have this knowledge. I have this insight. This is the things I've experienced being in this system. Right. I've been out of the system and I have something to compare it to. And like women do not even know what they're being robbed of. Like birth can be this completely like life changing, like pivotal moment of like your accessing power that you didn't even know that you were capable of like it's understandable why we're denying women that Mm -hmm. because we would be in a very very different space in our society if we weren't I literally say that all the time all the time (laughs) I and I it's so true could you imagine if every single woman in this world was able to have the birth that they were supposed to have without having a medical intervention unless it was absolutely necessary. Could you imagine how different yeah. our world would be, would be if women knew how freaking powerful they were? It's just, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. It like, I would love to see that. And that's part of why it's even more so important to talk about it because I want women to have that. And I think one mm-hmm. of the things that's difficult when it comes to talking about birth and intervention free birth is that people kind of they can get upset or they can get offended if they didn't have that type of birth they were like okay well I had my birth and my birth was fine you know what I mean kind of not like upset just like I don't know the words that I'm looking for like they just think it's a protective mechanism for women it's like why would I you know it's hard to be like I didn't get the birth that I wanted or well the system has done its job like it has put fear around birth into women yeah and it has made them reliant on them the system is extremely intelligent and it's done a good job and it's like interweaved the fear of birth into our society and so many women are like okay well if I birthed at home I would have died or my baby would have died it's like really like I'm I understand why you feel that way because of the experience that you had and I'm not taking away from that at all and I'm sorry that you had that experience but that wouldn't have happened to you if you were at home right and like I'm you know things do go awry in birth but very very infrequently when we don't interfere with it and even I feel like uh, like this kind of says a lot but even like the statistics for like bringing it back to the research, the statistics of women who have even planned a home birth, let alone if they ended up birthing their babies at home, are better than women who go straight through the system and um, plan to birth the hospital. I can list a couple of them off if you're interested. Yeah, go for it. I'd love to hear them, sure. 
So um, I think uh, Sarah Wickham posted something about this. I love her. Um, we'll share yeah, her. Recently. We'll share yeah, recently. She's a beautiful, um, beautiful resource. I do, I'll list a couple of people who I um, okay. refer back to, but this was a study done in 2020 and it found that um, women who are planning a, a home birth were 40% less likely to have a cesarean, 50% less likely to have an instrumental birth, 70% less likely to have an epidural, 55% less likely to um, receive an episiotomy, 40% less likely to um, sustain extensive tearing, so a third or fourth degree tear, mm-hmm. and 60% less likely to have their births augmented or the use of synthetic oxytocins. Like that's just planning a home birth because it's not just about the birth and it's not just about you know, um, place of birth, it's the preparation that you do, the relationship that you, you build with a midwife during that process of planning a home birth. When Usually women who choose to birth at home are highly educated and highly informed because they've done the research on what the statistics are for home births. And I'm glad to see that some non-biased like, statistics are like starting to come out. There was one released in Australia this year called... Um, the birthplace study so maybe i'll find a link for that so we can yeah i'll write that down Yeah, look into a really really great one um and it, it ultimately what it's found is that statistically the outcomes are comparable for babies whether they're born at um, home or hospital but for women the outcomes are improved and that's why we need to focus on not having this like tunnel visioned just looking at the birth right here right now um and like baby centric kind of mentality around birth because okay for an obstetrician who's looking after this woman on this one day of her birth that is like you know one episode that they're dealing with but the birth of your baby and how you birth your baby how your baby is born how you feed your baby has lifelong impacts on you your baby, even their epigenetics. Mm-hmm. So it's important. It's not like birth matters for so many reasons. And it's like if you have the mindset of like looking wider and looking long term, then I feel like how you think about birth and what's important in birth changes. Yes. And even in what you're saying, like the importance of like actually doing the research so you can plan, so you can make decisions is so, so, so important. And also what you just said, I, I remember, I don't even know, it was like years ago, but I think I don't even know if I was pregnant at the time, but it was when I really started deep diving into reading books about birth and just educating myself and, the way that you give birth matters. The way that your baby comes into the world and the way that you birth your baby matters so deeply on so many different levels. And like you said, it literally impacts mom and baby for the rest of their lives. And also, like you said, any OB or care provider who is a witness at your birth, is that's one day for them. That's one mom for them. It's not something that... I mean, maybe it is depending on what your birth is like, but it's not something that's going to impact them and their like the rest of their life. You know what I mean? For a mother, you will never forget giving birth that day for any of your children. You will never forget it. It literally transforms you. It's the biggest transformation of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And there's almost like nothing more important than that, right? I learned a lesson as a midwife 
as a student midwife, sorry, and it's something that I share and tell myself, which keeps me in alignment with how I work, um, is that I I don't care what an op- if I've had to intervene and voice my like opinion or thoughts about a situation that comes up that is against what an obstetrician is saying. Like I don't carry what that obstetrician says, like feels about me. That right. is not something I take home. What I take home is how I cared and showed up for that woman right. because that's what I'm going to reflect on. I don't, because I'm there to serve the woman. Mm-hmm. I'm there to work with the woman. Mm-hmm. I'm not there to appease obstetricians. And, you know, it is easy to fall into that, way of being especially if like you know you have to there's one hospital that you can work at and you have to work at the hospital because that's how you support your family and it's easier to get along with the the people that you're working with but it's just not a way that I could work I just like if I yeah how I work with women like that's what I carry mm-hmm. so definitely underlines like how I work now and that was something too I I have not attended a birth since having my daughter and she she'll be two and a half in January. But since having her and considering going back into birth work, that was something that I really knew that I would not, I would not be able to just sit back and not say anything. And I'm not the type to sit back and not say anything, but when it comes to birth and like you said, being concerned about what, uh, while working alongside them and like them allowing you to come into the birth space and that in specific hospitals in Boston, it's very, it's, it's very interesting to say the least. Um, and a lot of the mindset surrounding birth, especially over the past few years has just been so warped. And so that's something that in the future, if I am attending births again, it would definitely be outside of the hospital setting for that reason. Yeah, I, I almost feel like going into private practice and working in home births. And I did say that I didn't take on clients who were choosing to birth in the hospital because like I was protecting myself from experiences that I'd had. I was carrying a lot of vicarious trauma and mm-hmm. I have worked, like been working through that. But I know a lot of birth workers who don't want to be in that space anymore. And I absolutely understand and support why that is right. because it's hard to witness abuse. Right. It's hard to witness abuse. And then it's hard to witness it even more so when that person doesn't realize that it's abuse. And then you're kind of yeah. carrying trauma that they don't even realize is trauma because it's so normalized by our society. Mm-hmm. And one of my biggest frustrations is just that women should not have to advocate for themselves during birth. Like we talked about, they should just be listened to. Their job is to focus Mm -hmm. on them, how they feel and bringing their baby into the world. You know, like that's all it should be. And so there's just so much work to be done. It's insane. Mm. But yeah, like sadly, that's not the system and society that we live and birth in for the vast majority of women. But that's why doing your research and like arming yourself with knowledge, it's like, yes, like some women see it as they're arming themselves to go in and support their cause and, you know, for that fight. But it does lead a lot of women to choosing different birth options and choosing different care providers because that's what the research supports. Right. It's 
like it makes sense like if you are aiming for an intervention free vaginal birth well then you're going to choose the space and the care providers that are going to give you the best opportunity for that to happen right like if you want an intervention free birth choosing an obstetrician who is a surgeon who works with instruments and tools and and manages complicated births like are they really the best person to be supporting you to achieve the birth that you're aiming to achieve um but yeah that's why even though birth should just be women being supported to do what our bodies know how to do we live in a very information heavy society that knowledge is power in this space especially knowledge about the system that you're going into it really is i feel like now is the perfect time to segue into the discussion that we wanted to have about how to do your own research. And then I, I'm, some people who've listened to the podcast before when it was really, really focused on pregnancy birth may know about the BRAIN acronym, acronym, but some may not. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, cool. Um, I feel like it's so important because it, like the amount of times are do your research or have you, have you even looked into the research like that statement has come up lately is just like oh it's almost infuriating like <sighs> because people don't even really understand what that means right because getting your care provider's opinion is not doing research no um a good care provider should be um like helping you access different information um because the, a part of making an informed decision is looking at the risks and the benefits and applying that to your individual circumstances. And that's why the BRAIN acronym is a really great one and really easy one to fall back on because it does incorporate all those things. So the acronym stands for benefits, the risks, the alternatives, the, your intuition, and what happens if you do nothing. So part of making a fully informed decision and uh, is about not being coerced, that the decisions that you're making are voluntary, that the your care provider isn't giving you biased, cherry-picked information. So it, in, it requires you to look into multiple streams of information and then critically appraise and deconstruct that information and then saying, okay, how does this apply for me and my circumstances? And then again, what does my intuition actually tell me about what is right or wrong? Mm -hmm. This can be done in a really, really quick kind of situation. It might be, you know, a, a medical intervention is suggested. This can be done in a few minutes, like just going through this process, or you might have, be applying this kind of um, this format to any decision that you're making around your pregnancy and birth from who your care provider is going to be any if you're going to do any testing or screening um, your place of birth like this can be applied to anything it, it can be applied to anything outside pregnancy and birth it can be applied to making a decision about anything in general um, but I think it's really important that the, like the quality of your research is only as good as where you get it from, who's written the research, how it was conducted, all these sorts of things. Because not all research is the same as each other. Um, and there's a few like sort of like processes that you need to go through to assess the, the level or credibility of that piece of information that you're reading. Mm -hmm. And you can do that on anything as well. You could be 
critically appraising a big like randomized control study that's on a great journal or you could be critically appraising an opinion piece that someone has written right it's about using a critical brain to sort of like deconstruct okay what is this person saying what is um like their credibility as an author is this something that is like um a field of sorry it's okay field is this a subject that they've been researching writing on for years or are they kind of just like is this a once-off for them and it's a kind of new field for them where has this information been published even different journal articles have different levels of credibility so like the lancet is a great one it's open access as well and it only publishes critical journal articles but then there's other journal journals that it's like yes you might come across a published research article but if it's published on a journal that has an agenda that's trying to push well you need to be aware of that as well right it's kind of like advertising like all this kind of like subtlety stuff that you're not necessarily aware of that's like you're just being convinced into a certain way of thinking and i think honestly i'm so glad that you said it like that and phrase it like that and just the fact that we're having this conversation because I think about it oftentimes where in past generations they did not have access to all of the information that we do literally at our fingertips so when it came to reading research and looking at research and actually taking the time to critically think about it it was so different compared to now where people are just bombarded with information. And if you, because of the way that the internet works, if you're looking for one type of information, that's what you're going to continue to see. Like if you Google something, it's just going to continue to show you the same thing. It's not going to show you the other side. It's not going to say, okay, well, If you disagree with this or agree with this, here's the opposite of that. So you can play devil's advocate and get both sides of the story in in terms of being able to make your own decision instead of just having it all be one-sided. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because there's bias in everything. There's bias in the information that you're seeking out. There's bias within that research from the authors and the people conducting the research because obviously they're believing in what they're trying to prove. Right. And they're going to conduct a study in a way that proves the agenda that they're trying to push. And you have to really look at that study critically to be like, okay, have you cherry-picked your population? Have you looked at a certain population group in order to produce a certain result that is going to suit whatever it is that you're trying to push? And I was, there's so many complicated interweavings like throughout it all. But yeah, I don't remember which thing that I was reading. I I think it was something on fragrance um, and how it impacts infants. And I was reading it and then you scroll down to the bottom and it talks about the people who are funding the research itself. And I want to say, I want to say it was Johnson and Johnson and that that just takes away all the credibility because it was essentially Absolutely. saying it was essentially saying oh well we're not really sure what the impact of fragrance is on infants and babies 
and more research needs to be done. And then one part of it said that it wasn't really impacting them very much or they didn't really see a huge difference. And then you scroll down to that and you're like, it's literally funded by people who make a product that has fragrance in it. So, yeah. But a lot and it's of- like, if I'm, if a study is choosing not to look at a certain outcome, then like it doesn't, it's like, Oh, it doesn't cause any, any, we don't believe from our findings that it causes any harm. It's like, right. okay, but were you looking at this? Were you looking at long-term? Were you looking at how it's going to affect fertility or the, like, um, like the next generation, like, yep. it depends where you're looking to, <laughs> for what kind of like outcome and um, you're going to get to. Yeah. 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 So much bias in everything. And people have different, like, things that are important to them. It's like, okay, when I'm looking at um, something that it was going to affect my body, I'm taking things into account like my standards of the how I care for my body are a lot higher than somebody else's. Mm-hmm. I'm f- super focused on how anything I put in my body is going to affect my fertility. Right. That's not everybody's focus. So, you know, everyone's going to look at a different piece of research and come out with different, like, ideas based on that. Two opposing healthcare professionals, say an obstetrician and a midwife, can read one journal article or like one article and come to, out with different practice recommendations right. based on their own personal beliefs and experiences and how they've interpreted that knowledge or and that information. Right. Yeah. And, and also, and it, sorry, can I just say one thing? Yes. It's like also how, how they interpret those findings to the, the women that they're caring about is very, very different as well. Like um, even the way statistics are presented to women. So just say a woman has a 0.1% chance of something occurring and after X amount of weeks of pregnancy, that increases to 0.2% chance. Like you can state it like that and they're like, oh, okay, so like either way, I don't have a very high chance at all of this thing occurring. But if it's presented to a woman that that chance is doubled, that chance is increased by 50%, which is both accurate, it has, but how you interpret that knowledge, that information is very different. And that's how like coercion and fear tactics are, are utilized because you're, present, you're twisting the information in a way that suits your agenda. Right. And you know what? I I do it as well. I am biased towards birth. I'm supporting physiological birth. I look into a lot of research that supports that because that is how I work. So, and it's, you know, everyone's going to have their own biases and everyone's going to have their own perceptions of risk. For someone, an increased risk of 0.1% is not acceptable for them and they don't want to take that risk. They feel like, I would rather risk having a cesarean than risk waiting for my body to go into labor naturally. Right. Everyone is, has different stances on that based on their own experience and knowledge and perceptions. So there's not, that's why having the skills to be able to look for information and deconstruct that information and apply it to your circumstances is empowering because you're the only one that should be making a decision about this. Like you might have a very risk averse care provider who chose to have cesareans for their own births. They're not going to have the same perceptions of risk that you do. You might be open to doing things that they wouldn't be. Right. 
Yeah, and it, it, like you said, it all ties back into doing your own research, knowing where you can do your own research. But like you said, being able to deconstruct it. And also one thing that I've learned while doing my own research is actually looking at the study itself and looking at the trials themselves and looking at the sample size and thinking about all the different things that go into each study that they do because some studies don't include certain things you know and Mm -hmm. so I find it interesting that there are people who will make fun of or laugh at people who choose to do their own research and don't fully understand how much goes into doing your own research and really like we're sitting here talking about all the different aspects of doing your own research and how to make sure that you're probably properly understanding it and there are people who don't want to do their own research but make fun of people who choose to and it's just like it's so backwards to me yeah and you know what and and that is their choice and that's you know they take you have to take responsibility for your outcomes right regardless of the decision you have to own your decisions right and if you've chosen not to do the research because you you find it's too complicated or you just don't want to go there or you don't think it's important that's fine but own the outcome that comes from your decisions right it's the same as choosing to birth at home or choosing to free birth or choosing to go into the hospital to birth like ultimately that responsibility of the outcome is on you because of the decisions that you have made so that's why informing yourself as much as possible is your power in 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 that space um yeah it's and it, it is complicated i'm not taking away from that like i my i was like learning another language when i started learning about how to how to read research and it's i still find it quite complicated and i get that most people aren't going to have an understanding of this but i guess that's why i wanted to share with you today because it, it is important and it does matter. I have done a few sort of um, posts on my Instagram actually that kind of like deconstruct it in a easy to understand way. But I think like a few sort of like key things are understanding that there is a hierarchy of evidence. So um, studies that are like a, a systematic review or a meta-analysis where um, that is a review of all the available research, that is the like on top of the hierarchy pyramid in regards to research. And it kind of goes down. Randomized control trials are really um, usually quite credible as well. And that's because um, the study design is put out in a way that is trying to eliminate some of those biases. Um, Like looking at cohort studies or case control, cross-sectional studies, animal studies, and then opinion pieces is kind of how the hierarchy continues on. Um, but yeah, population size is a, is a good one because if your sample size is too small, you're mm-hmm. not going to see a lot of the adverse outcomes right. that come from the intervention. If your sample size only looks at healthy people, which as the study, um, like the phases of a study go on, the just say it's um, a drug, for example, will only be studied on healthy participants first before it moves into the next phases of trials where they then look at the broader population. Right. Because you're, you're going to get different outcomes from um, an intervention that's studied on healthy people versus studied on non-healthy people, people who have confounding health like comorbidities are on medication that might interact with the medication but that's why you need to look at the population and then um, compare it to you. 
um, examples of this are the term breach trial, which is a very, very flawed study that we shouldn't have made these recommendations for cesareans off because the population of babies included babies who were not well. And it, that those outcome, those statistics then aren't comparable to you. So, um, I go into what relative risk is on some of my posts. So it's an interesting one to read. We can on. share those. But if, if the population, yeah. If the population that being studied includes um, yeah, babies who are unwell and your baby is well, then statistically you're going to have a, diff a different statistical like risk factor compared to that other population. Same as if the, this drug was studied on a healthy population, but you have comorbidities and you have or risk fa other risk factors, then statistically those like results aren't necessarily relatable to you so that's what you need to sort of like take into account as well when you're doing your research um obviously the internet is overwhelming it is huge and people kind of like start to google stuff and then obviously based on the google acronyms and advertising all these sorts of things is going to um, impact what comes up first for you um, so it might not always be credible information. Right. I have some some places that I direct women towards um, to sort of like look into information. So things like if you do have access to journal article or journal databases, usually they are they're paid. If you are attending university or if you have um, like a research kind of um, related job or you do work in. The healthcare system usually you have like a paid access to these journal databases and you'll be able to look up these things yourself um but they are a couple of free ones usually the big ones like i mentioned before the lancet is available for free it's, it's called open access when anyone can sort of access their articles without having to pay for them okay um google scholar is another one but um it doesn't always produce the highest quality because it's looking what's available online for free and it presents you with that um there's the cochrane review database oh, which is yeah. like a yeah that's a great one it's a library and it's systematic reviews on all the available research so it kind of looks at all the information for you all the um current research and then it looks at the credibility of it critically it analyzes all the different all the research and then it comes up with um findings within that and the vast majority of times it's like found conflicting information and it says that it, there's not enough strong evidence to um you know support any right. certain way of practicing i know it's <laughs> so everyone everyone thinks as research is like you know the answer to a question Academics look at research as in reasons to ask more questions. Like research is always changing and research is out there to be critically deconstructed and to like look for more questions on. It's not necessarily always just an answer. I know. And that's, that's one thing that I've realized is that people are like, oh, I'm – following what the science says and you're like, okay, but science, literally what science is, is continuing to ask questions, continuing to do research, continuing to look for answers. That's literally what it is. 
And so it's yeah. never, it's and never continuously changing constantly, constantly changing because of every yeah. single thing that happens in our world. Like there are so many things that go into everything. So you can't just say I'm following it because the science said so. Well, yeah. what if yeah. the science is incorrect? <laughs> the science have said a lot of things throughout the year. Practitioners have recommended a lot of things throughout the years. And those we look at those things now and we're like, how did we do that? <laughs> how? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I think about that when it comes yeah. to even like they they show the ads of like pregnant women smoking cigarettes and they're like, oh, this is good for you. You know, like. It's just, it keeps your babies small. Yeah, it's just right. wild. It's actually not a good thing. <laughs> it's actually not good for Yeah, you. there's so, so many things. Um, but, yeah, I guess, like, some of the other places you can look, if you really want to mm. go on, like, a, um, a rabbit hole kind of, like, vortex, um, I recommend, like, looking up, like, the Australian College of obstetrics and gynecology Mm -hmm. um, and the RANSCOG, the Australian and New Zealand version of those, because they do have guidelines and recommendations, the same as hospitals. They do have some of them publicly available, um, like policies and things, and they are referenced. And at the bottom of them is a a reference list of where they got their information from. So that's another way to like assess the credibility of um, something that's been written is look at the information that they're using to support their agenda is it outdated is it you know older than 10 20 years old shouldn't really be any older than five years old is um in some academic fields they stick to that five years um to be utilizing and referencing um information but at least um it's good to know that the things that the place you're going to be birthing at is like what their policies are and what they're going off and where they got that information from Um, because then, you know, if you are in a circumstance where you need to kind of like argue your case, you can be like, okay, well, I'm sorry, but the, the information that you're using to make this recommendation is actually outdated or it doesn't apply to me or whatever. Um, but also looking at um, academics in the field is a great one as well. So my favorite academics in the, in the birth world are Rachel Reed. Um, she has a blog called Midwife Thinking. She has a book about induction. She's like wealth of knowledge, like, yeah, absolute huge respect to all the work that she has done for the birthing community. Um, And another one being um, Sarah Wickham as well. They're both midwives. They both have PhDs and they've both done a lot of um, work over the last couple of decades in in supporting in an academic way why physiological birth is so important and actually the research behind it. Right. Um, Another one who I love is Sarah Buckley as well. She is a GP who has really great research around like hormones and the use of um, synthetic oxytocin and epidurals and things. Um, Then I also like podcasts as well because they usually feature professionals in the field and then you can look into their work as well Mm -hmm. and evidence-based birth is like a one-stop hot shop i was waiting (laughs) information around birth so again it's that 
it's their systematic reviews. It's um, they're looking at all the available information and they're presenting it in a really non-biased way. So I really appreciate that um, in a way that is easy to understand. So the fact that they have so many modalities as well, like they have podcasts and they have a book and they have blog posts, but the information is super digestible for someone who like just thinks like research and critically pleasing information is just like a, a like not within their understanding right it's like someone else has done it for you and put it together in a beautiful package so yes right. also one that i um commonly refer women to to find information yeah and i'm just i'm so glad that you said that and also that you're encouraging and empowering women to have this information ready in case they go into a hospital setting because most times, pretty much almost every single hospital, the policies that they have in place surrounding birth are not evidence-based. And even certain things with pregnancy, you know, they, for example, they look at an ultrasound and they say that your baby is measuring big. So they say that you need to get induced where it's a bunch of crap and people don't realize that they can't actually tell the size of your baby based off of an ultrasound. And then that person goes and gets induced and then they don't, their baby's not ready to come out and then they end up with a C-section. And so it's just like, it, it infuriates me so much, but it also makes me so glad that you're talking about these things and you're also providing women with specific tools that they can go utilize and they can literally bring with them and say, hey, here's the actual evidence. So I'm going to make my decision based off of this, not based off of just a standard policy that you guys have put in place. Yeah. Like, it's so frustrating. Like, why are we here? Like, we're, we're not practicing evidence-based medicine. No. Or- maternity care at all it's like we have so much research like it's like decades worth of research to support the improved outcomes when with having continuity of care from a known midwife yet we're not doing it right we know that continuous fetal monitoring during labor thank you yes like increases into intervention rates without improving outcomes if anything it's damaging if we're going to look into the long term and the outcomes for the woman right we are still testing for gestational diabetes when we have information like research that questions that like why we're inducing big babies when it results in poorer outcomes like we have the research to support not to do these things why are we still doing them? Because it takes, it's just like, this is the way we've always done things. We're following hospital policies. Hospital policies take a lot of effort to change. Yet throughout the last two years, a hell of a lot of hospital policies have changed overnight for women in a way that has not benefited them. So why can't we change hospital policies in a way that actually benefits women and babies and is more in line with the research? Yes. Because it supports midwifery-led care over obstetric-led care. And, like, that's why we're here. Right. And And when you have this information, it's so infuriating. It's like, all right, I, (laughs) where else do we go with this? Like, what we need is the consumer, women, demanding something else. Right. Saying, we're not putting up with this anymore. Like, you shouldn't have to be a trained academic, like, as a consumer, like, saying, no, what you're doing 
which is actually not in line with current research. Like that's not your role. Like there's so much during pregnancy that you already have to work through. Like you should be focusing on tuning in with your baby, tuning in with your intuition. Like your mind should not, you know, like birth is hormonal. We have to get it out of that neocortex. Your neocortex shouldn't be firing off and being like, okay, what research did I do during pregnancy? And like women aren't in a space to, to always like be – yeah, they shouldn't be advocating for themselves during birth. And they, yep. I, I recall watching a video recently, I think they, um, Badass Mother Bertha put it up, where a woman is like, don't cut the cord. And then the the nurses and the midwife was telling them, like was undermining her knowledge on it and telling yes. her that she was wrong. And in the end, you can see it on the woman's face. She goes, whatever. Yes, I and remember. And I see it time and time again because it's too much energy to bring that fight during birth you just birthed just- your baby there's literally and, and not yeah. only that not only were they just like telling her that she needed to do something that she didn't need to do but they were telling her incorrect information what they were telling her mm-hmm. was not factual information was not evidence-based and so it just comes down to like what you said women should not have to advocate for themselves during birth but it's just women need to actually have the proper information and the care providers who are working with these women should actually be giving them the proper information and should actually know the information themselves. Because I think that's one of the bigger pieces of this is that there are care providers and people who work within the birth space, labor labor and delivery nurses, um, OBs, midwives, who, medwives, I should say, not not you, but um, who are not fully knowledgeable on what they're saying. And they haven't taken the time to yeah. to do their own research outside of what they were taught. Yeah, absolutely. And I was about to say the same thing. It's like, you know, a lot of the kept, like people working in these practice settings, they haven't done the research either. They trained 20 years ago and they're doing things how they've always done things. And they just don't have the desire to look into what the current evidence is actually like suggesting right and that's why like student midwives and new graduates like coming into the system and so disillusioned because they have all the up-to-date current like knowledge and then they work they, they get thrown into the system that is not practicing that way and they're like okay but why not like yeah it's ignorance is bliss it's just easy to like go in do your job do things how you've always done them and forget about it and go home like it's sad but that's where a lot of that's what the system has done to a lot of midwives as well like they don't have the energy to bring to that anymore because they've been ground down by the system i know well i feel like we're talking about this because it matters because we want more people to know about this because we want women to feel empowered to do their own research so they can be fully informed and make a decision that's based on all of the information that they need. So I'm really, really thankful for you and for all of the knowledge that you've brought to this ep- this episode. And I would love to share the specific posts that you were talking about in the show notes with everyone when it had to do with doing your own research. And if you have a list, like you were talking about the different places that people can go to doing their own research, I'd love to include that for people as well. Are there... Yeah, for sure. Are there ways that you feel that women can avoid birth trauma by doing their own research? We kind of already touched on it, but any specific takeaways with that? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is um, looking in regards to like Australian statistics, but like one in three women report their birth as being traumatic, which like absolutely breaks my heart. And Rachel Reed did do research around this, and the the most common themes for women who did experience their birth as traumatic is having things done to them without them being properly explained being made to fear their or their baby's lives um not being listened to and not feeling like they were an active participant in their care so that's why i like always say the term that like knowledge is power because that that knowledge if you have that knowledge even prior to going into pregnancy and prior to going into birth is going to help support you in being an active participant in your care because you know if you don't know then you don't know and you're going to go with the flow and the flow isn't always good right um and it, the yeah the flow often leads to trauma and yeah having knowledge can help support you in that space to avoid birth trauma and because the vast majority of women who have like done the research and the means to be able to obtain the care that they know is going to support them to have the birth that they want will end up in the home birth space will end up with a private midwife so those things are protective against birth trauma yeah and i just like what we were talking about before our system is just it's honestly set up to just perpetuate birth trauma and it makes me angry and it makes me sad. And we're talking about how people say, oh, the system's so broken, it's so broken. It's These systems are built specifically with money in mind. It's not mother-friendly, it's not baby-friendly, it's all about profit. And so knowing that and having the tools that you need to do your own research to make informed decisions, but also to avoid birth trauma for you, for your baby, for your partner, your family, literally everyone. It's just, it's so key. It's so important. And I just want to say thank you again for having this conversation and opening up this conversation for everybody. Yeah. Thank you as well. And like, it, it does come back to like what your podcast is about. It's about being loud about what matters because I just see how this matters so much and i just can't not share the information the knowledge and the experience that i've gained and the insight that i have from this journey and from this experience so yeah honestly it's like it's a vocation i absolutely love it but it's almost like yeah i I can't know it's like something that i have to do I feel the same exact way it's like once (laughs) yeah it's like once you know something you literally cannot shut up about it like you just can't and some people are like oh you're obsessed with talking about this or that and I'm like yes because not enough people know about it and not enough people understand it and because we deserve better women deserve better babies deserve better families deserve better everyone deserves better so are there any our earth deserves better our earth does <laughs> i feel too. like we're i feel like we're at such a pivotal moment right now where like we really need to start caring for the earth better caring for each other better caring for women better and i feel like if we do those things then we are going to be heading in a more positive direction than what we are so it's imperative that we make the change it is. It's so it's so important. And 
I hope that everyone listen, listening to this episode really just, they start to act on it or they start talking to someone about it or they offer a specific resource to someone who needs it, whether they're pregnant right now or going to have babies in the future or it's just a study that they found. We need to be sharing more about it. Um, yeah, yeah. I always talk about it like it's like planting seeds. Like I talk to so many people about birth even like I get contacted by a lot of women who are like okay I didn't even think about having babies but I still follow your content and like you've really changed my mindset I'm like literally I've ended up like in a bar like with a group of women talk around me talking about birth like it's, it's planting the seeds and then you know because we have a lot of change to make in us how societies betrayed birth we really do and it's so true I mean we just need to be talking about these things. I don't I don't know how else to say it. It's like I feel like sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I'm happy we're having these conversations because they need to be brought to light and people need to know about them. And then once you start talking to other people about it and like you said planting seeds, they start doing their own research, they start finding things and then they come back and then they start talking to you and it's just like you can open up all of these conversations that you never expected you just never expected them to come and it's refreshing and i love so much being able to record episodes like this because i always leave these conversations just feeling so hopeful and just like so excited Mm -hmm. and happy that i'm in this space connecting with like-minded people yeah yeah it's i i get a lot from having these conversations it really fuels the fire, right? Because sometimes it can be really disillusioning and like, oh, I've done so much work and there's no, you know, will it ever change? The system is so like hard stead of like where it is. But yeah, on an individual level, we are making a huge amount of change just by having these conversations. So I am always open to continuing to do so. Yes. Are there any final words or pieces of advice that you would want to leave with everyone tonight? Yeah, I think in regards to pregnancy and birth specifically I think just think about it's something that you should make an investment into whether that's an investment of your time to research it properly or like to invest your money into the sort of care that you know is going to produce the outcome that you're looking for it's just it's just or investing time or energy into you know creating the birth that you want because birth is so important and it matters and it matters for you and it matters for your baby and it matters for your family and our community and our society and the earth. So it's just such an important thing to invest in. So if you're going to invest anything in like of your life, let it be your birth. Yeah. And I, that just reminded me of someone shared it. It was a post and it was talking about how people spend so much time and so much money planning their weddings or planning their baby nursery, excuse me, planning their baby nursery. And they don't even consider the birth portion of it. They don't consider planning for mom during pregnancy or right after birth and like what you're going to need. It's just like having the perfect nursery set up and having all the outfits and all this and that. And so we need to re re we need to shift that focus to mm, being about what's birth. actually important yes on what's actually important yeah. absolutely because what does this like 
beautiful bassinet mean to you that your baby probably isn't going to sleep in anyway but like could have that been better invested into someone caring for you after you've had your baby like what's important and it comes back to that like yeah we we have been conditioned to disconnect from what's important and what our intuition tells us and and that disconnection comes from you know all the noise and all the material things and yeah just come back to what's important at the end of the day what's going to matter the connection that you have with your baby yes come back to what really really matters and be loud about that (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) exactly like so many women are shunned into like not sharing their positive birth experiences because they're the minority and they don't want to make yes. other women feel bad. Hell no. Yell oh my gosh. From yes. the rooftops, like tell everyone if you had an incredible birth. Like I love hanging around Cassie now, like at the park playing with the kids and like she's like 90% of the time has told someone about how epic and amazing and life-changing <laughs> her like birth with Willow was and that like – that's important because like we need to when we hear other people achieve the things that we want to achieve it seems more like possible for yes. us like of course we don't think we can birth our babies naturally because we never hear of experiences where people are doing it yeah but if you consume and surround yourself with positive birth stories that's the energy and the energetic like input that you're putting in your body and your mindset like it makes it possible I felt like that with mine, with my birth, because I really had the birth that I wanted outside of it being in a birth center in a hospital. I definitely would have preferred to be home, but it was what my daughter's dad felt more comfortable with. In the future, I'm definitely never giving birth in a hospital unless it's absolutely necessary. But I, my labor and my birth was so fast and I didn't have any sort of medical intervention and so then I had two friends who had like very long labors and births because they were both induced and I felt bad talking about my birth I've and and I also had her before both of them (laughs) so it was just like it was layers of why I felt awkward talking about it but then after I was like why am I gonna feel bad about talking about how awesome my birth was and and also too one thing I just wanted to say before we wrap up the episode is just that the medical interventions not only impact the mom but they also impact your baby and how obviously how they are birthed into the world but their energy after the fact Like there are babies who are super lethargic or who have to go to the NICU or whatever, however they come into the world. And then there are babies that are just like so wide awake and so comfortable and not screaming and are just aware. Like my daughter, when she was born, she was wide eyed awake for like three hours and Mm -hmm. she was just taking everything in and looking around and... I didn't expect that. I had never really seen that with a newborn. And it was just cool. It was really cool to see. Yeah. Like at home, it's not uncommon for a baby not to cry after it's born. And people expect that to happen. And like it's something that has to happen. Like a lot of the time I'm just like, how are you doing down there? You are 
so quiet because you're just wide-eyed and taking it in and like yeah and it yes it totally affects that newborn period it affects how your baby feeds which is a huge one yeah yeah the temperament of your baby and like on a physical level as well they've experienced physical trauma through a lot of like birth intervention and like of course that's going to affect them um and it also affects us for the long term like so many people replay out their these patterns of their birth throughout their lives even as adults so if you're constantly feeling like you're stuck or being forced into things or being rushed or whatever it's I think it's actually a a book about it as well which is like (laughs) crazily spot on but how you're how you're born plays out throughout your life absolutely yeah and 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 babies can also feel everything that you feel when you're pregnant which people don't fully realize like if you're super stressed out during your pregnancy your baby feels that and then they can be born yeah, into absolutely. that. Your mindset. It's like, and ha- <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Like how, how can, how can you think that they're not, they're literally inside you. They could not be more connected to you if they tried. Like, like our emotions release hormones. It cha- They change our body on a physiological, like, like state. Like if we're, putting our um, system into a, like a, a sympathetic or a parasympathetic kind of um, drive, yeah, of course your body's going to be and your baby's going to be experiencing that as well. Um, and that continues after you've had your baby as well. Like energetically your baby is still so connected to you after they're born. And then that's why like babies should be on their mothers or as close to their mothers at all time because they are energetically connected. They're not even aware that they're a separate person yet. Yes. So separating mothers and babies is the most torturous thing that we do to women it really is and to babies it really is i honestly feel like we could do an another entire episode just continuing to talk about all the things that have to do with pregnancy and birth and how things should be and how we can get them there yeah yeah because we don't forget these things very easily like or if we do it in a suppressing sense and we're causing disease in our body. Right. But if I mention to a woman, like an older woman, like a woman in her 60s that I'm a midwife, she will tell me her birth experience. And I still see the emotions that they are carrying because of that. Obviously, because we, you know, back when women were birthing 40, 50 years ago, we would like telling them to be disconnected from their experience. So they've never dealt with the experience. If it was traumatic, they're still carrying that. And that's like the work that I do with women as well. It's like, okay, if you have had a traumatic birth experience or even just a traumatic experience in your life, like how can we help move through that? So you're not bringing that into your pregnancy and birth experience. Right. Or carrying it at all. Like if you're carrying energetic weight, then other things you want to achieve in your life seem harder because you're being weighed down by these experiences. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that too, is that the older generations are definitely more detached from, from their birth, from their births, or they are still healing from that trauma. Like my mom didn't tell me about my brother's birth story until this year. 
this past year. Like I had no idea what she went through and it was, it's horrendous. And I, and I remember before my daughter was born, she, we had a, we have an estranged relationship. And so she was just like super worried that I was going to go through something like she did just like that projecting, you know? And I never knew why until she told me later this year, I had no idea. And people carry that with them. Absolutely. And even on a cellular level, like we are present for our mother's births. Like, uh, like we carry three, three generations. Like, when you were at an egg in your mother's ovary during her birth experience, when your grandmother birthed your mother, like that is some deep cellular energetic imprinting there. And the amount of times I see women play out their birth experiences that their mothers have with them, like way too often. And I'm like, that's where I was like, okay, I need to start working well before where like just the birth, because we have to, yeah, get rid of that blueprinting and that like energetic connection and repeating those patterns and playing out these traumas again and again. Like let's break the cycle. Yes. We need, and that's the thing is that these cycles need to be broken. There's so much healing that needs to be done and there are so many layers. And that's the thing that can be difficult for some people is that some people kind of like what you said earlier, just kind of an ignorance is bliss type thing, or they know that there's healing that needs to be done, but they don't feel ready to do that, or they don't want to get uncomfortable, or they don't they don't know that they need to do it until somebody says something or something in their life happens. And it's just, mm-hmm. there's so much that goes into it on so many different levels, but like like you like you said we have to start somewhere and it has to start with moms and babies and just work its way outward yeah yeah when we heal our traumas it has flow on effects for our family especially as women we are the pillars of our family when we do the work and we heal our traumas it benefits on such a larger scale it really does it really does well, this conversation has been so incredible. And I, like I said already, I feel like we could just keep talking. I think I might have to have you back on for us to talk more. <laughs> oh, I am always, always happy to do that. <laughs> well, would you mind sharing where people can find you? I'll include it in the show notes, but just for anybody listening. Yeah, so I am really feeling um, a rebranding coming through. It's been bubbling away for a little bit, and now those bubbles are getting hard to ignore. But for the meantime, you can find me at um, my website is www.downtobirthmidwifery.com, and that's where you can find me on Instagram as well. So downtobirthmidwifery with underscores um, in between. So get me there, and then I... Yeah, we'll represent soon, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I'm excited. So many new things happening. Oh, yeah. Because when you work through your trauma, you make space in your life for creative ventures. And yeah, a lot is coming to fruition at the moment because I've been doing a lot of work. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you. Giving birth to new things. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> and you really reminded me of that when we were speaking previously. Be proud of the things you've achieved. Like, 
we've never cut ourselves enough slack. I know. <laughs> it's just that's another thing that our society could heal. <laughs> just oh, yeah. the way that we that our our mindsets are framed on so many things. This has been such an incredible conversation. I'm so excited to share this with everyone and just get everyone's brains thinking and hopefully they'll reach out to you and I. And so thank you so, so much for coming on and chatting with us. I so appreciate it. And I can't wait to chat again soon. And thank you listeners for joining us tonight. If this was an episode that you enjoyed and you're listening to it, please share it and tag Sarah and I. Thank you so much, Livia. I am so eternally grateful to have these opportunities to share this important, important knowledge. And I can't wait what connections come out of it. So again, blessings and thank you. You're so welcome. All right, listeners, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. much for joining us this week listeners i really hoped you loved this episode as much as i did if you enjoyed it learned something new or know someone you feel may benefit from it please share it with them whether you're posting it on social media sending it in a text or an email my goal is to open up these types of conversations within our society within our families within our friend groups as always if you have any feedback questions or know someone you think may be a great guest for the podcast, please connect us on Instagram at the Be Loud About What Matters podcast or send an email to be loud about what matters at gmail.com. And if I haven't said it already, if you could please subscribe to the podcast, I would so appreciate it. And also leave a review if it's something that aligns with you and you feel like you want to learn more and you want to keep listening help us reach more people. I appreciate you all so much and can't wait to chat with you again next week. Bye-bye.